Today on our show, I'm talking with Tyler Brandon. Tyler, thanks so much for talking with me today. Oh, thank you for having me, Bernard. Tyler, first I want to congratulate you on a, on a beautiful show you're having right now at Shelter uh, called Fire Paintings, uh, which, is, which is up as we speak. We're talking on the 27th of July, and it's running through August 13th. Is that correct? That's when the show's coming down? Exactly right. So, so let's talk about this. I, I wouldn't mind going through the individual works, but the title of the show is, um, is Fire Paintings. Can we talk a little bit about what, why fire paintings? I mean, that has a different meaning in a blazing hot summer, but what were you thinking with that title? Um, well, at the time, I didn't really have anything in mind at all, and I was referring to them as cave paintings affectionately. Um, most of the imagery is drawn from Egyptian hieroglyphics, and I just felt more of a relationship to that than um, any other period in history. So I would affectionately go around um, talking about the cave paintings to the gallery. And uh, that kind of spawned from that. And of course, it is a misnomer. Um, there's one painting included in the show that doesn't have the fire. I felt like it was um, an important uh, work to include to kind of get that point across as well, look past it. And that painting would be a uh, basic principle? Basic principle with a geometric shape, uh, the apple and the daisy, yes. So let's, uh, yeah, I really love these paintings. Let's... Um, I'd love to begin with right place, right time. Um, this is this is oil on canvas, but also you're using oil stick as well as oil paint. Is that how these are painted? Yes. Uh, I like the oil stick in particular because it reminded me of chalk on a blackboard uh, when you apply it to a medium weight canvas. Mm. Uh, right place, right time in particular, is probably the most personal painting and um, <laughs> the one I'm happiest to see go. Um, that had a lot uh, to do with my past. I was kind of telling a story. Uh, I believe these individual symbols uh, kind of became a language and the way they would be arranged, the, you know, change the syntax of each canvas. I really approached them emotionally uh, I was utilizing a Flemish technique in the sense that I would um, do the imprimatura and also uh, an underlayer and an earth tone. And I'd do it rather emotionally, uh, just listening to music at full volume and just kind of having at it in one sitting. Um, then later when I would come in with the color, I would try to uh, preserve the naivety of the lines and try to hold on to that little fleeting moment I caught when I first painted it. And so to, to, to jump right into that one, because that's how I felt when I was there, that these are, these are stories and, um, or, or, or symbols that, that, that could be a story for the viewer. This one that has a flame and a flower with one petal and a symbol that looks like pie and then a, a flower with many petals, um, struck me that, and this is just my personal read, that, that it was somehow about, uh, about a relationship or love or something like that because one petal on the flower to me 
reminds me of that, you know, plucking the the petals of she loves me, she loves me not. And uh, so there's one left that gives you the answer. But we don't know what this answer is unless unless I can decode this a little bit more. Um, is, is is my read a stretch or or what do you think about that? Is that part of what's happening here? No, it's exactly right. Um, personally speaking, uh, I believe each symbol in the painting does have a meaning to me. I know exactly what I'm conveying. Um, that one, of course, is rather obvious, but the others I don't believe as such. And I like to leave that open to people um, to try and translate the cipher, to um, decode the cipher, rather. And that pie symbol, is it a pie symbol or is that something else? No, it is a pie symbol. Okay. And um, so, okay, I don't, I, I don't want to push you to break that down too much more because, right, these are for people to no, decode. Um, so, all right, well, then let's jump a little more into it, if, 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 if that's all right then. Yeah, to, to me this was about love, but pie, I wasn't clear about what that, what that meaning was um, and how that related to the other flower. I, of course, think of uh, like this endless string of numbers, something endless, but... Um, but it wasn't I've there. heard people, um, people particularly remark on the absurdity of pi, the stretch of the, the numbers. Mm. So that was something I saw. And it's interesting, too, because that was a very conscious um, painting, very well received. The rest sometimes aren't so uh, conscious. Sometimes I'm just well, sort of dumping from the period since I last painted all the emotions, everything that's happened onto that canvas with the um, with the symbols and their arrangement. Well, pi to me also seems, you know, uh, like a symbol of perfection, even though it's it's kind of close to perfect, just like a a circle might be. It's it's it is some kind of approximation of perfection. That's that's kind of uh, almost like love itself, right? Love is this kind of wonderful perfection of a state, but of course, it's 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 nuanced and is is, is an approximation of it, but doesn't quite get there. And maybe a flame is like that too, right? It's it's ever changing. It's never the same thing. But you know, we could look at the flame on a candle, for example, which this resembles, and it looks sort of like the same thing on every candle, but it's. It's not, and it's changing every moment. So um, as, as a flower is, so when I look at this, look back on this after seeing it, it to, to me, that's how it strikes me. These are all these kind of symbols of also perfection but approximation. And, and if I'm reading this as, as kind of about love in, in terms of a relationship, love is also like that. But, but, but stop me if I'm, if I'm going off on my own tangent too much. Does that seem appropriate or is that part of what's being reached at here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was most attracted to the ancient Egyptians because there was no word for art in their culture. What they did, all those beautiful depictions um, were language. They were meant to be read. Um, and even the first still lifes, you could argue, were funerary paintings, offerings, so they had something on the other side in those tombs. Mm. Um, I love the idea of them being read. And um, 
you know, the deeper we get into the story of this particular painting, it makes me think the less I want to speak on the others because I love to hear what other people see. Um, I love people to draw their own conclusions. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so that seems to be part of the narrative in these is that it's not a narrative that you're going to lay out. Like in the one uh, basic principle, which we mentioned earlier, the only painting without a flame, which has this kind of comical form and an apple and, um, and a flower, it looks like, um, what kind of a flower is that? Is that a daisy or something like that? Uh, daisies and tulips are depicted throughout the paintings. Um, but yes, the, there's also the point of the landscape being, I believe, a younger art form in the Western tradition. I mean, you have Hokusai, um truly pioneered it. But um, here in the West, it was at the bottom of the hierarchy of genres. And that was due to the fact that the paintings of antiquity had a lot of allegory to them. They served purposes for the church. And people thought it was hard to convey a message through a landscape. And that's why a still life superseded a landscape. So I just thought it was interesting to take it to a new place where it lends to uh, hieroglyphics, excuse me. It lends to a side-scroller video game of my youth, uh, being 31 now. And also to the icons that we use to navigate on a desktop. I like to stay informed by both antiquity and contemporary culture because I believe they're very close. Uh, everything repeats itself truly. I like that. And and so, yeah, hieroglyphics are such an interesting form, right? Because we're talking about symbols and, and, and in this one basic principle, um, things are also floating, right? You have this landscape that isn't even clearly a, a landscape, it, it, it's something else, as you're saying. It almost looks looks dangerous, you know. There are these kind of pointed forms, and, and things are are floating. So, yeah, it sort of it sort of begs a reading of, of what's happening here. And um, and typically in a show with something like Basic Principle, are people coming up to you or talking about what they think's happening? Are they asking you about what's happening or giving you their interpretations? At most, a few have asked me what it means. Um, I don't think that's very fun to tell someone how a movie ends before they've even gone to see it. Um, For the most part, I think people have kind of accepted that something's happening, and it's fun to reflect on that, because the paintings do have a very immediate read. And in a way, I think these landscapes look back at you um, just like a portrait could, eyes follow you across the room all these objects stare right back at you acknowledge you which is what a lot of people seek in the day and age of social media Mm. and then it offers that clever little mystery something lying beneath the surface that offers you to look at it longer and consider it gaze back well, and potentially find new things in it all the time right like I'm looking at common denominator which has this, you know, triangle in it, which looks like it has something to do with the Pythagorean theorem, is is something that I would imagine if it's in your home, you're looking at this and thinking, 
uh, at different times, what does it mean? You know, it could, like a portrait looking back at you, it could have different reflections. Maybe we see the portrait smiling or we, we realize it's not actually a smile or those eyes aren't looking at us, they're looking kind of over us or something. Um, is that how you like these these paintings to be lived with, as, as kind of endlessly there for for, for decoding and, and reflection in a, in a in a hieroglyphic kind of way? And the paintings, um, or this presenta- presentation of the landscape has become very near and dear to me very quickly. I kept two. I live with them, and I often find myself um, abandoning my work just to go and stand in front of them and to see if they can offer me anything new. But they do always merit me uh, returning to just wonder, to stare and wonder at them. And uh, I think it's a special place to be in. So I plan on focusing on this style for quite some time. I, who knows, arguably the rest of my life. I just think it's um, a rather interesting direction to move the landscape in and to see what it's capable of as the youngest uh, genre. So, yeah, talking about that specifically, like the landscape genre, right, this, this, mm-hmm. this, um, this doesn't have that kind of depth, this doesn't have a horizon line, so it's a, it's a landscape unlike what we're, what we're used to, right? They're, most objects are floating, though the flowers seem to come out of the landscape. Um, is, is, am I correct in understanding like there isn't a horizon line, right? There isn't necessarily even a, uh, a sky. I mean, though I read the background as sky, um, the landscape is, is, uh, is the green in front, which looks, which looks a bit like stylized grass. I mean, how do you, how do you see this in the context of, of other landscapes, or maybe I should say the history of landscaping, landscape paintings? Well, I suppose I traded the horizon line for a register, um, much like they would use in hieroglyphics to write along. Um, also, the fact that they're floating does lend back to um, icons on a desktop or little things you can grab for health in a video game, what have you. So I think, um, again, in ancient and modern terms, it's nice to see another parallel, how things were depicted separate from that register or uh, attached to it in the case of the flowers. And even in one, the law of attraction, the column pushes the register down to make space for it. So it's nice right. to create these rules and then bend them for a sort of emotional response. Well, there's so many associations. That's so interesting. So in the law of attraction, right, that's it's being bent down and there's two flames in there, a tulip and a cube. And, um, yeah, very enigmatic. It feels like something we could move through. When, when you mentioned a, a game reference, you know, that – that becomes very clear to me now um, that that could also be an association that the viewer might have, kind of grabbing these flames, going through the cube, uh, not being pushed off by the column. I mean, I know I'm taking that a little far, but that's also part of a, a common vernacular that we have to some extent, whether we're playing games on a phone or, 
or a, a console, this idea of pulling things out of the air that, um, that somehow uh, aid our, our health, right? I mean, it, it's just an odd thing when I sure. think about it, you know, and I, and I haven't in a while, but that's, that's in, in part what's, what's referenced here, you're saying, right? This sort of uh, well, even odd way even with those video games. With those video games, that's um, all life, isn't it? When you see the little red heart and you grab it, and that's restoring your health or recovering. Like, that just sums up an entire recovery period from an injury. And people just see that and know it immediately running across the screen in a video game. They don't think twice about it. I mean, which even plays in how we speak to each other now with emojis. We're all guilty of it. We've given up a proper sentence for just a thumbs up, fire emoji. Thumbs down, heart, and we can convey um, a lot just by sending a single little symbol. There's something about these that also feels um, innocent, for lack of a better word. Um, not childlike, but something that does seem to reach back. And when I think of of games, I think of I think of that, of course, uh, playing them more when I was younger, but also. A, a language of symbols or a time before language. I mean, you talked about them as primitive paintings or, and, and hieroglyphics. And, and this wasn't a time before language, but but it was a time when um, when perhaps symbols, oh, I mean, this happens in dreams too, yeah. Right. I mean, in dreams also, that is true. But it also was um, a form of storytelling. You know, if it was... Hmm funerary rites in a tomb or if it was cavemen talking about the hunt, some epic hunt. Um, it's a storytelling device. And I find that aspect interesting, um, which we've always sought and we're trying to abandon now in some ways because it was dominated by the church for a period. And that's why in the 19th century they rejected all those metaphors to the things that they were painting some hidden meaning, like when Matisse paints an apple, it's simply an apple. And I think that's when landscape painting in the Western tradition truly became an accepted um, form of fine art, high art. But then again, you know, I digress. You have Poussin, others that were brilliant. Right. But in the so when, when you, fine art. No, no, go on. But in the, but in the what? Um, well, at least in terms of like this newfound self-expression in fine art, you know. Right. But go on. You were saying. And sorry. I was just saying, as when you are approaching these paintings, so, you know, you're, you're working on your next painting or your next series of paintings as you approach these. Um, what's the what's the process? Are you thinking of a narrative as you approach these? Are you thinking of symbols? Is the does the narrative come to you after they're painting or during it? Because I would imagine even even your as you look at the ones you said that that you're close to that you have in the walls, perhaps different narratives could come forward. But it it also feels to me like um, to begin one of these, almost like drawing before a painting that you'd have to be thinking about what the narrative might be or at least what symbols you're using, or is that not how you approach these? No, not at all. Um, I like to be in a sort of a hypnotized state. I don't look at the painting, but I look through the painting and emotionally 
just have at it and just let loose with the underpainting. When I come back with color, it's a much more academic affair, so to speak. You know, sit down in front of that easel in a chair and adjust the height and begin with the color. But the underpainting is um, feels archaic. It feels primal. It's really lovely. I'll use my hands. Um, everything around me is covered in brown paint by the time it's over. Whereas when I paint color, it's very easy to control the process. They're approached differently. Um, but I like the way it speaks on a subconscious level. Once I was able to sort of establish um, a language, symbols that I really felt drawn to. It was very easy to just stamp them like a factory line, like not to, not to think about it, but to allow what's underneath to come out. I found that trying to control anything is the worst thing you can do. Worst. Yeah, that's uh, so often the case. And, um, and you... you you know, talks about this kind of emotional involvement in them and um, and playing music while you're doing this at full volume. Uh, does the does the music you're playing affect these at all? I mean, because you're you're getting into this kind of state. This almost it sounds like emotional trance-like state. Uh, I, I would imagine the music itself would would affect that state, or, or or no? I mean, meaning which kind of music you're you're listening to? I suppose. Of course, that lends to it. But then again, those emotions were underlying to begin with because I chose the music to put on. I was in a mood. So either way, the mood was coming out in the painting, but it's simply maybe amplified or given pageantry by putting on Grace by Jeff Buckley, for example, listening cover to cover. That's key as well. If it's not instrumental music, I do like a good album that was properly made start to finish, like a good Bowie, what have you. Which is also a whole story, right? A whole, it's true, it's an emotional trajectory, an album like uh, right. like a Bowie, Bowie album or, or the Jeff Buckley that you've been mentioning. Yeah, those are very emotive and um, has a beginning and an ending. So um, so that seems to play into your work quite a bit, right? Because this, 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 is, this is a kind of, an, uh, some artists are in their studios, it's quiet, you're in your studio and it's, it sounds like a completely, in terms of audio and, and perhaps other forms, a totally immersive experience. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's fun to see the difference of Act 1 and Act 2 um, because, like you said, music's blasting, painting with my hands, brushes, um, rubbing it out with the shirt I'm wearing, whatever I need to do to get the image I, I want. Um, but then also coming back, being able to sit down and, any outfit, any plain clothes outfit, and just begin painting without getting paint on myself or playing a little background music or, say, listening to an old artist interview, what have you. So it's sort of a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde approach, I suppose. I like that. Uh, Tyler, it's great talking to you about this. I, I want to ask you one more question before we go, which is off-topic, but um, what are you reading at the moment? Um, admittedly, I haven't been for the past year, but I've been doing quite a bit of writing. So I've been fascinated uh, with the art that I'm working on. But the last thing that I read was um, Oscillus, uh, specifically Prometheus Bound. And the writing, I feel like I should ask you about that then before we go. So 
What happens to the writing? What is the, what is the writing that you're working on? I'm just sort of trying to decipher what it is I'm doing because the spark of inspiration did come first and it hit hard um, to the point truly where um, Rachel Cohen, who owns Shelter Gallery, uh, we had a studio visit scheduled on the offer already of doing a solo show. And I did call her about two hours before she was meant to meet me and told her not to come because I was destroying the work. Um, I was experimenting at the time and discovered what you saw at the show. And thankfully, she was rather understanding. Um, she was happier to hear that I was taking it so seriously that I felt like I had to correct, I suppose, what I was doing to create something that I thought was better. So thankfully, due to her understanding, I now have uh, this series of work that I'm very intrigued by. So the writing might just help me further the canvases, but nothing I would probably ever publish. That, and of course, is a journal I've been keeping for the past year. It's been a lot of fun to, to go from the beginning one year ago and moving here and taking any job I could get to now exhibiting. Um, and Rachel has asked me to come on full-time as a curator at the gallery, so I have two shows planned after mine for some amazing women, uh, Ash Andrews and Peggy Reeby, that um, deserve their dues. Uh, they're quite brilliant artists, so I fell in love with that, working with, with other people and getting their work out there. Um, and just trying and to... Tyler, everything. Yeah. That sounds exciting. Tyler, um, I look forward to those shows, and... Um and uh, and I hope listeners who are listening to this in time can come to see your show before it closes. And I, I want to just thank you, Tyler, for making this work and taking the time to talk with me. It was a, it's really a pleasure. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you. Pleasure is mine. Okay, hold on one second. I'm going to turn off the record.